1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to i Other people want to make friends and just trying to make some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. So call me at one 800 743 or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Welcome to Bizarro Land, where uh, up is down, down is up, and good is bad. Thanks to the magic of the Federal Reserve, we've entered a, co- a market right now where bad news for the economy is actually good news for stocks, which is why the Dow rallied 207 points today. Uh, SME gained 0.82%. Now has that climbed 0.64%. You know, for the better part of the decade, we've had a relatively straightforward market. As we climbed out of the Great Recession, good news about the economy was good news for stocks. Even when the Fed started tightening, the bulls still wanted businesses to stay strong. You rarely heard people say, what we really need now is a lousy jobs number to force the Fed to stop raising rates. But that all changed yesterday. That's one of the reasons why I was up 500 yesterday. You know, again, up two hundred seven today. Yesterday, when uh, Fed Chief Jay Powell told us he's watching the economy and would take action if it gets too weak. In other words, if business slows down, Powell's indicating he's prepared to slam on the accelerator with a rate cut. Suddenly, the bulls are rooting for the economy to fail. Because the worse the data gets, the more likely it is that the Fed, well, slashes rates. And that's how we could rally today on a very weak payroll report from automatic data processing this morning. They do this thing comes out a couple days before the actual number on Friday. Uh, it's why investors cheered slow housing sales. Hey, they're, they're even cheering uh, weak uh, auto sales. I know this can be confusing to you. It can also be infuriating. We're supposed to cheer for people getting laid off? What kind of market's that? What kind of world is that? Now, two days ago, that ADP number would have actually been terrifying. Now it's encouraging? I mean, how the heck are we supposed to keep track? It, maybe you think the market's completely nuts. It's not. It's not. See, because now we're on the other side of an interest rate cycle. The Fed tightened too much in December. The economy slowed down. The bulls are praying, praying that we get more ugly data to convince Powell to give us a rate cut now. That's why I always call it Bizarre World. Because in Bizarre World, everything's backwards. Now you don't need to read DC Comics to know what I'm talking about here. You just need to watch that one episode of Seinfeld. It's season eight, by the way, episode three. Google it. Watch it, for heaven's sake. Now, any weak data is a positive, and anything strong is a nightmare. Because if the economy stays even lukewarm, the Fed won't give us those much-prayed-for rate cuts. And that's why the averages were today when that ADP gave us a terrible number, which suggests that the Labor Department's non-farm payroll report on Friday could also be disappointing. Yay! It's why stocks took a breather when the Fed released its Beige Book, showing decent growth across most of the country, that said, I wouldn't take your cue from that beige book because it, it really doesn't do a very good job of gauging the state of the economy. Sorry. So what gives you a better read of things? I'm going to fill you in right here, right now, so you know exactly what's going on in bizarre world. First, it's oil. For years, stocks would rally whenever oil went higher, higher, because it was viewed as a proxy for the healthy economy. Well, that's still true. But now the bulls want a weaker economy because of pal. So lower oil prices like we had today are good news for stocks. When the price of crude gets clobbered like this, it justifies a rate cut. The bulls don't care whether oil is going down because of excess supply, even though I believe that's the case. You know what? I keep thinking about that interview we have with Scott Sheffield, the dean of oil CEOs. He's a pioneer in that, who told us that the Permian uh, Basin is producing an amazing amount of oil right now. Roughly a decade ago, when the U.S. was producing six barrels a day, Sheffield came on this show and told us we double that number by the turn of the decade. No one believed him. Well, sure enough, the U.S. now produces 12 million barrels a day. And South predicts that soon we'll go to 17 million. No one's predicting that. But the oil market's reflecting that. And if it happened, it will wreck the oil market right here, right now. Even as we're thinking that we're so far away from it, it doesn't work like that. It foresees this. And oil, by the way, has already entered a bear market. It's now down more than 20% from the April highs. So that's good. In other words, don't run the fossil fuels, please. The millennials don't like those stocks. In other words, it probably is not done going down because there's less demand from a slower economy. It's being hit by a supply glut, too. But the bulls don't care. For for them, it's all about plumbing oil prices as an exhibit of why the Fed must cut rates because it says the economy is weak. Exhibit B, our friends, the tariffs. The president might be very sanguine about these tariffs. He keeps slapping on China and now Mexico. But, uh, you know, that happens on Monday. We know that there's long meetings and, you know, whatever, fine. Uh, but the Federal Reserve feels differently. Our central bank is worried that the tariffs are slowing our economy. They're making executives pull in their horns and cause consumers to hoard cash. For example, take this 5% tariff on goods from Mexico that could go into effect on Monday and could rise to 25% if they can't hammer out a deal with the White House. J-PAL is concerned that this will hurt consumption because it's basically a big sales tax on everything we ship from Mexico, which includes millions of cars. Now, the president doesn't see any negatives here. He can use our commerce to bludgeon Mexico into paying for something like a border wall. And in the meantime, US based manufacturers will get a leg up versus Mexican based manufacturers. What's the matter with that? However, the Fed knows that consumers are only the ones who pay for these tariffs, and they're terrified of Trump's trade war. Finally, there's our friends in the bond market. The yield on the ten-year Treasury has collapsed. It's now at two point one three five as of tonight. That's lower than the Fed funds rate, shortest of short-term rates set up by the Fed. Now, when you see that, you have what's known as an inverted yield curve. Really boring, but it's a sign that the Fed was way too aggressive with its rate hikes last year. Hey, Jay, uh, me a couple partner. Jay Powell knows that an inverted yield curve is a bad sign for the economy. It always is. There's no, leave, no ifs, ands, or buts. He doesn't want to cause a recession. Bummer. But the ultra-low yield on the 10-year tells us there's a real lack of demand for money. Companies aren't borrowing for construction. People aren't borrowing for mortgages. And that's why Powell started talking about the possibility of a rate cut yesterday. Many people are expecting him to start easing by July. I think that's getting ahead of themselves. It's just too much of a U-turn versus Powell's position at the end of last year when he was still convinced that we needed a series of rate hikes to stamp out inflation. Wrong. Look, I hope I'm mistaken. I would love a rate cut next month, but hope should not be part of the equation. When you use this framework, though, you can see how every day people are making bets that we're going to have a recession. And that's why the consumer packaged goods stocks have had huge moves. Look at PepsiCo. Wow, what a horse. Kimberly, Clark, they're not even doing that well. Hershey! They can do just fine during a slowdown. In fact, better than fine, because we're getting lower commodity prices and they may even benefit from recession. It would save them a fortune on packaging and fuel costs. Meanwhile, the secular growth stocks keep climbing and climbing and climbing for the same reason. They don't need a strong economy either, hence the strength in Salesforce last night and Adobe. How about that Okta? Google that. OKT. I just like to say it. Okta. You know, like I like to say Z Zscaler. If we're in a deflationary environment, their future earnings growth looks a lot more attractive, provided they can keep making the numbers. And I think they can. Here's the bottom line, people. Make no mistake. From now on, after yesterday, bad news is good news. As tariffs go up, while oil prices and bond yields go down, the Fed has more and more reason to cut rates. Given that the president is endlessly pressured Jay Powell to cut, he needs some cover before he can take action. Otherwise, it'll look like a puppet. And the only thing that gives the Fed cover is a slower economy. Good thing, because that's exactly what we're getting. Zoe in North Carolina. Zoe!
0: Hello, Jim. This is her grandfather, Nathan, uh, and I'm
2: here with uh, my three grandchildren, Nathan, Abby, and Zoe, and I'm going to give you Zoe, if you don't mind. Hey, hey Zoe, I am Ben.
0: Hello, my name is Zoe Keaton. I am 10 years old, and I am from Asheville, North Carolina. Pretty. I'm investing with my grandfather for college. I was wondering about waste management.
1: Well, you got horse sense, my friend. I think that's a great stock to own, Zoe. I think Fish is doing a good job. Someone at the street.com just did an interview with him. And it is two thumbs up. Good call. I love families who watch together. You know what? Why don't we go to uh, Lee in Virginia? Lee.
0: Booyah, Jim. Booyah. As a, long t- As a longtime viewer, I know one of your cardinal rules is accounting issues equal sell. Shortly after the IPO of Jumia Technologies, a short seller issued a report claiming that the prospectus contained in- inaccurate statements and that Jumia had changed some of its metrics So the stock tanked. Yes. Is this a situation where the we should just sell or is it a buying opportunity?
1: Well, I mean, it's tough because they stand by the disclosures in the prospectus. But I don't really care for the company. I got so many other stocks that I really, really like in that sector. Why do I have to go down and deal with a company that actually was so easy to attack? You want e-commerce platform? You buy Shopify. Ron in Maryland. Ron. Hey Jim, booyah, booyah! First-time caller and longtime listener. Fantastic. What's up? I have a. I hold a position with TLRD. And it pays a a dividend. The stock has been down before the tariffs, and I don't know which direction this stock is going. Should I sell, hold, or buy? Well, one thing that my staff has learned that I think is really a terrific lesson, even my friend Frack, who's back here just for a couple of guest appearances, which is that stocks do stop at zero. It's a remarkable thing. It keeps you from really hurting yourself. Um, I don't know what else to say. All right. Weak economic news is now a market positive. Strong data. Oh, no, we don't like that anymore. The Fed needs reasons to cut rates because the president's been pressuring those guys forever. Hey, by the way, on oh, mad money tonight. A new under the radar fintech play that you are really going to want to invest in. I'll reveal the name just ahead. Then thinking about cleaning out old mad money episodes from your DVR or your Betamax think again. I'll tell you why it could hold the key to your portfolio potential. And it's a company transforming the way organizations make business decisions. And the stock is up more than 60% this year. Is it time to make a plan to add and a plan a man, a plan, a bull market to your portfolio? I've got the CEO, so I would stay with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
1: Now that everyone suddenly feels very comfortable with the market after a couple of really bad weeks making five, I want to highlight a group that's done incredibly well during what's pretty, let's say a pretty volatile period. I'm talking about the financial technology stocks, or FinTech for short, which a lot of people, by the way, think are rolling over. The chartists don't like them. Well, isn't this an interesting time to discuss it then? This is a cohort that tends to thrive when investors are worried about the economy and nobody feels safe owning traditional financials. They were good for one day yesterday, and then <laughs> they're back to their old bad ways. If the banks feel too risky with an inverted yield curve, you buy the fintechs. Some of these financial technology plans have a lot of sex appeal. Wow, get this. PayPal, Square. How can you miss those, right? Hey, some of them are iconic. Visa, MasterCard. Chapel Trust owns MasterCard. But others are relatively boring and unknown. But it hasn't stopped their stocks from roaring higher, even as what they sound like they do isn't particularly sexy. I want you to take a look at Fleetcore Technologies. F-L-T for you home gamers. This is a payments company, so they're for fintech, that handles gasoline, uh, pay car- gasoline pay cards, they're called, toll, lodging expenses, general accounts payable. They're mainly focused on business-to-business transactions. Basically, FleetCor gives you a better, more efficient way to transfer money from company to company. So if your business employs hundreds of, say, drivers, you give each one a FleetCor card to pay for gas. That's their largest division. The company operates in more than 80 countries, although 88% of their sales come from the United States. Of Brazil and the United Kingdom. Now the business-to-business payment space might be a terrific place to make money, but it's not what anyone would call exciting. Hey, it doesn't matter, people. The market can't can't get enough fintech, even if it's boring fintech. And remember, there's so much merger activity in this space that people just say, hey, listen, give me a fintech, I'll buy it. Uh, it's one reason why Flint, uh, Fleet has been one of the hottest stocks of 2019. It is up 35% year-to-date, which puts it among the 30 best performers in the S&P 500. Last time it was number 27. How the heck did that happen to a company that makes cards for gasoline? Well, some of it has to do with the Wall Street fashion show, but a lot of it's company-specific. See, when Fleet Corp came public at the end of 2010, it was a $23 stock. It's now a $251 stock. That means it's up... Nearly one thousand percent. I recommended it back in 2014 because I felt it was pretty good. Was looking, at, I had it for the charitable trust, but I wish I'd been more aggressive about circling back to it. The secret to Flipcor success. It's what's known as a roll-up. Since 2002, they've acquired 75 companies in commercial account portfolios. Basically, Fleet has executed a terrific takeover strategy, making itself the largest player in the field, something that really matters in the payments business, where scale is incredibly important, hence all the acquisitions and takeovers in the sector. They've expanded from a purveyor of Fleet Cards for handling fuel payments to a larger, more diversified play on tolls, lodging, and more general corporate transactions. Land and Expand At the end of the day, the payments industry represents a fabulous long-term growth story. So, of course, a company that keeps acquiring other payment plays is going to be a huge winner. And that's exactly what we've seen here. Fleetcore is all about the transition from paper to plastic. Something like half of all business-to-business transactions are still done via check. Which means the companies involved need to hire a bunch of people to write the checks and mail them and collect them from clients and then deposit them on the other end. Oh, man. That is just a huge waste of time and money. The idea behind Fleet Corps is that you can lay off all those people and save yourself a lot of money. It's a great story. And that's part of the reason why the stock's been such an excellent performer. Even as it's pulled back about twenty-five bucks from its highs over the past couple weeks. Remember, I told you the charters are saying it's rolling over. When Corps reported its latest quarter roughly a month ago, the company delivered a nice top and bottom line beat, eleven percent organic revenue growth. Remember, it's so hard to find double-digit in this market. Even better, management raised their full-year sales and earnings forecast. Beat and raised. How did they do it? You need to view these payment companies as fighting among themselves for a larger and larger piece of the transaction pie. Fleet Corps gets a bigger slice by making acquisitions, but it also has the ways of growing the business organically. For example, they've got thousands upon thousands of fuel cards out there right now. Uh, the lighting customers use them for other kinds of spending, so your Fleet card becomes more like an expense account. See? They're doing the same thing with toll cards in Brazil, their second largest market. They're expanding the number of hotels that take their lodging cards from 15,000 going to 25,000. And they're making a big push into more general corporate payments, helping businesses conduct all of their transactions electronically. Remember, paper to plastic. So is FleetCorp worth buying here right now? Well, I like the fintech space. You know that. I like this company in particular. But let me just give you a little, uh, a little bit of caution here. The thing is, FleetCorp is highly levered to certain kinds of transactions. Remember, the customers are companies with employees that drive trucks pay for toll roads, and generally travel for business. They, they take a tiny little cut of these transactions. But this is all stuff that's much better when the global economy is humming, which we know it isn't. Thank you, Fed. When there's a downturn, you have less shipping and you have less business travel, and Fleet payment networks is going to have inc- incrementally less activity. The most obvious example here is fuel prices, right? Fleetport gets 45% of its revenue from its fuel car business. So when the price of gasoline goes down, like right now because the price of oil is swooning, there's less money being made uh, and paid through Corps fuel network. Uh, there's also this uh, strong dollar. I-, I could bore you every night with that thing. It gets 40% of its sales from overseas, including 16.4% from Brazil, which has a particularly volatile currency, and 10.6% from the U.K., which is uh, Brexit status, whatever the heck is going on over there. If you think the dollar will stay strong, it's going to keep pressuring the earnings now, so far, Fleet has been able to thrive in spite of these issues. I bring them up because every time the stock has gotten hammered in recent years, it happened when oil prices were coming down. But let me give you the other side of the trade. Goldman Sachs just gave Fleet Corp a nice upgrade this morning from neutral to buy, raising their price target to 305 which would certainly be nice upside stocks at 251 Goldman likes the secular growth opportunity and payments just like we do. They like Fleet Corp's terrific execution like we do. They like that the company's poised to keep rolling up the industry with smart acquisitions, yes, like we do. My view. Fleet Corp is a superb long-term story, and the fintech stocks are very hot. The stock could pull back a little more. I think you have to be prepared to buy it on the way down, particularly if the price of oil keeps falling. With the stock trading at just 19 times next year's earnings estimates, it is pretty darn cheap. It is right. Bottom line, Fleet Corp is a lousy trade, but it could be a terrific investment as long as you approach it patiently. The payments industry is just too good to ignore here, and every time these stocks go down, whether it be a Visa, whether it be a MasterCard, whether it be a Square, whether it be a PayPal, or whether it be a Fleet Corps, it has paid to buy, buy, buy the stock. Leslie in Michigan. Leslie.
0: Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Oh,
1: no problem. My, con-
0: <laughs> my concern is with the outlook for Square. I purchased shares last fall at $88 a share. Mm -hmm. Since then, the shares have declined with the broader tech market. And they do have the cash app and credit card usage on this side. So, given their strengths versus the impending tech antitrust investigations, should I hold by Yeah, I
1: want you to hold. I mean, this stock peaked, by the way, just so we're clear. It peaked when uh, the fabulous, amazing, unbelievable Sarah Fryer left to go to a really good site that my wife is addicted to, this next door, um, and that's what caused the stock to peak. But I do like Square very much. Uh, I like PayPal even more. That's Dan Schulman. I'm seeing him tomorrow for corporate governance conference that I'm meeting. I think Korea has a fabulous long-term growth story, but it's sensitive to oil prices. That's why I think you should buy it gradually. As oil remains under pressure, I think oil is not going to have that more downside. So this one may be ripe for an opportunity. Hey, it, it could be terrific. Now, much more mad money. Yet. When an executive comes on the air here, I don't want to know it's easy to be dismissive. Some of you even turn it off. Some of you cut the cord by Roku. But I'm going to tell you why you should check the cynicism at the door. Then, AnaPlan soared nearly 20% after reporting last week. And boy, I've been behind that one since it came public. We're going to talk to the CEO, used to be CFO at Red Hat and Cisco, and their biggest use, uh, big issue is wanting big tech, right? But why is Salesforce above the fray? Why is that stock up 7? I'll give you my take. Stay with Craig. If you want to be a great investor, you can only be, uh, let's say, afford to be so cynical. When executives come on the air, it's easy to be dismissive. Oh, they're just talking the book. Uh, but you need to strike a balance between skepticism and credulity. Because many CEOs deserve the benefit of the doubt. And you ignore them at your own peril. That's why I do so many CEO interviews when we have money. Nobody knows more about how a company's doing than the people who are running that company. When you have a chance to hear from them firsthand, it can be incredibly lucrative. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm going to give you some real examples right now. Back in January, for instance, I spoke to Omar Ishrak. He's the CEO of Medtronic, MDT, the gigantic medical device company. Medtronic stock had just been hammered the day before, down 6% after the company trimmed its full-year forecast, but it was mostly because of higher taxes and the strong dollar, not the fundamentals. The analysts were not amused, and they ripped this thing to shreds. So the next day, I gave this Shrack a chance to defend himself. Take a look. Are those adequate descriptions of what you said yesterday? Not at all. Look,
0: we, I'll say it, I've said it before and I'll say it over and over again. We stand with the strongest pipeline that we've ever had in this company, across its breadth, and we do certain things with technology. We innovate, we create new markets, and we disrupt our own markets, and we've got that across a breadth of technologies that we've never had before, and no one else has. And we think these are game changers for healthcare, and we'll be in the middle of that.
1: All right, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a company that's having problems. The, so many of the analysts seem to indicate. That was that JP Morgan conference. Boy, they just hated what he had to say. At the conference, Medtronics wanted to tell a story about that incredible pipeline of new products that Omar mentioned. But the analysts only cared about this stupid tax issue. They practically hijacked the presentation. However... If you listen to our interview, Ishraq told you all about the new products. For instance, the micro pacemaker, smallest in the world, currently can be used for 16% of the total adjustable population. That's going to 60% among, oh, and how about the Mazor Robotics acquisition? So many of you like that stock, uh, Israeli company, which gives Medtronic exposure to advanced systems that help doctors conduct minimally invasive spinal surgery. Uh, they've combined their surgical planning software with Mazors to create a whole new product. Hey, tell us about a new chip my is working on. Something that can implant in your brain. <laughs>
2: your
1: Thank you. I mean, I said, hey, I've been doing it for 14 years. I can sneeze all I want. Uh, and it helps people uh, with movement disorders and Parkinson's. I've looked into that one in particular. And it's really kind of, uh, let's say it's like, it, it is like a uh, fantastic voyage. We weren't fed up like the analysts. We were, thought they were way too negative. They were nat- way too cynical. We weren't. We were wondrous as for the tax issue Ishra explained he was just being careful by disclosing a potential problem that everybody seized on and that it might not even turn out to be a real problem at all you know what this was this was classic UPOD that I tried to teach you under promise and over litter now if you listen to the analyst you would have sold Medtronic you would have absolutely dumped it they were sell, that sell, negative sell, 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 sell. but if you listen to your our interview you know what you had a very good case to Buy, 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 buy. The darn thing. Sure enough, when the company reported in February, they shot the lights out. They raised their 4 year earnings guidance. The numbers, uh, the number of those analysts were so worried about. Oh my! The guidance was terrific. Then in March, Medtronic added six billion dollars to its buyback authorization. Clearly, management believed the stock was too cheap. Fast forward to two weeks ago, Medtronic reports just another earnings beat. Management giving incredibly big bullish forecasts for their 2020 fiscal year. Even better, Omar Ishraq predicted accelerating revenue growth. That's ARG. Thanks to the launch of all these new products he told us about in January. In the end, the tax and foreign exchange issues, the worries there, oh, please, they amounted to nothing. But Medtronic's terrific pipeline paid off. Since the interview, the stock is up 16%. I am so glad I pounded the table, but I'm so angry at the stupid analysts who thought that Omar had nothing good to say. Just yesterday, a bunch of analysts just decided to get on board. Thanks for nothing. Wells Fargo upgraded the stock to a buy, setting the company's terrific late-stage pipeline. We see Medtronic as accelerating growth story trading at a steep discount to peers, he says. Thanks. Credit Suisse hosted a bull versus bear lunch and found the attendees to be generally constructive on Medtronic, with few just a few bears to be found. You know when this research would have been really helpful? In January when there were bears everywhere and the stock was trading at eighty two bucks. Now it's at ninety six and change. If you listen to our interview with Omar Ishraq not only was that game gettable, we were saying enough already with the analysts. We know more than they do. I, we did. We were certainly less cynical. All right, then there's Cypress Semiconductor. How about this one, right? The chip maker with a stock that's been hammered uh, because of the worries about uh, end markets like autos. On April 25th, the company reported a nice upside surprise and the stock rallied 7%, but it had room, more, more room to run. The next day, we spoke to the CEO, Hussein El Khoury. I don't know if you liked him. I think he's a real straight shooter. He explained how Cyprus had diversified all sorts of new markets, like the Internet of Things, IoT, also exiting on unattractive businesses like flash storage, which is in free fall. Basically, he told us that Cyprus was more proprietary and less commodity than people thought. Oh, it was a great story. He even explained that while he had automobile exposure, which you know we don't like him have money, it was still uh, growing, even in this terrible environment. However, then May comes along, the stock gets hammered, falling from $17.30 when we spoke to El Cori, down to $15 bucks at its lows uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Well, it turns out that was an incredible buying opportunity because two days ago, we learned that Cypress Semi is being acquired by Infinium for $23.85. And that represents a 38% premium versus where it was trading at the time of our last interview a little over a month ago when I pounded the table. Hey, how about another example that's pretty familiar with people? Let's talk one that is just in the news constantly, Apple. Now, I know Apple's been a house of pain lately as it's caught in the crosshairs of the trade wars, China, this new antitrust inquiry, but that doesn't change the fact that if you paid attention when CEO Tim Cook came on our show, you caught not one but two bottoms in Apple. The first time was in May of 2016, when the stock had fallen out of favor over worries about a disappointing iPhone cycle and a slowdown in China. Everyone was telling that Apple's best days were behind it. Carl Icahn, we love him. He'd been a long-time major time major shareholder. He dumped the stock and told everyone else who would listen to Get Out. By the time we spoke, the Tim Cook. It had traded down to 93 and change. But he told a very compelling story right here, and Apple spent the next two and a half years roaring higher, practically in a straight line. The second time was this January. Apple had just pre-announced some terrible numbers, and once again, everybody was freaking out about China. The long knives were out. When we spoke to Tim Cook, that was back to January 8th, the stock had pulled back to 150. And uh, once again, he pretty much called the bottom telling you to stop focusing so much on iPhone sales and instead start thinking about the Apple's rapidly growing service revenue stream. Stock surged at 215 at its highs last month, and even though it's been clobbered down to 182 in recent weeks, it's still up nearly 21% from when he told you a very compelling story. Sometimes you just need a CEO to explain what the heck is going on related really to the company and put it in context. Here's one that is just I I, I have loved, no one's paying attention to, I, I I can't find anyone who's interested. Viva Systems. That's a cloud-based software company that works, other than short sellers, you tell me it was no good. It works in the life sciences industry, which you know is a growth business. Viva CEO Peter Gaster. He's been a regular guest on the show. The last time we spoke to him was in March. He said the company was on track to hit $1 billion in sales one year ahead of schedule. That's so hard to get a bill. I hope you caught that interview, because Viva reported a true blowout quarter last week, and its stock is now up more than 33% since we had Gaster. Gaster's a mild-mannered, terrific guy, bingo here's the bottom line you're really doing yourself a disservice if you tune out to our during our ceo interviews a lot of news is made here and if you pay attention you could often identify some terrific opportunities i think about a coupa software okta the z scale the zendet oh, these are all working but still before you do i insist that you do some homework let's go to jeff in pennsylvania
0: jeff Boo ya, Jim from State College, Pennsylvania, the home of the famed Penn State Nittany Lions. Thank you for that running back. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, sir. Hey, my question uh, concerns Star Wars Property Trust ticker symbol STWD. Yeah, you had them on the show a while back, and you sparked my interest. I did my homework and due diligence and bought an initial position in December at about $20 a share.
1: Okay. It, well, I, Jeff, I need you to hold on to it. It's Barry Stern like this. so We got to get Barry back on. But he's a breath of fresh air. What a smart guy. I, I think it's great. You got that yield, 8% yield. You're up a couple of smackers. That's just a good stock. That's great income stock for people want want income. I trust that guy. I think he's money. All right. Uh, look. And listening to CEO interviews on Mad Money, it can be incredibly lucrative for investors. Just be sure to strike a balance between skepticism and credulity. All right, we got a lot more Mad Money at can an investment in and a plan. Keep your portfolio connected to profits. Talk about listening to a interview. I'm talking with the CEO. Then dealing with fears around the trade wars with China and any in investigations, I'll tell you why it's more important than ever to know why the customer is alright. right. And Oh your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round so stay with kramer
0: tomorrow kick off the trading day was squawk on the street live from post nine at the nyse
1: we take a shot at that mcdonald's wendy's Beyond meat. Beyond meat? Okay, yes, focus. Yes, focus. I try to get him to focus on the good economy, but no, he keeps insisting on the other 96%.
0: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
1: As I told you earlier in the show, when we bring CEOs... On this program, it pays to listen to what they have to say. For example, last December, we spoke to the head of a cloud-based software company called Anaplan, which helps businesses with forecasting and financial planning. He told a really compelling story, and guess what? Since then, the stock has given you a 61% monster gain, and that includes an 18% run on Tuesday of last week, after the company shot the lights out with a fantastic beat and raise quarter. As much as I hate to chase stocks that have run already, I I think this one has more to run. So let's check in with Frank Calderoni. He's the chairman and CEO of Anaplan to get a better read on how his company's doing, where it's headed. Mr. Calderoni, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, Frank. Have to see you. Good to see you. Now, people don't realize I, I have known Frank for a long time because he was CFO of Cisco and of Red Hat, two companies you know that I am very enamored of. Red Hat couldn't be swallowed up by IBM. I saw you last year. And you said, I've got a good one. I'm on Anaplan. I thought you were going to be the CFO. You're the CEO. What's it like to go to CFO, to CEO? And what are you doing so right that you have accelerating revenue growth already?
2: Well, Jim, it's been a great opportunity. I mean, I've been in the company over two years now. And uh, just to kind of see how we've progressed over that time frame has been phenomenal. Uh, It goes into the great employees, great partners, and and also great customers, I think. And we're in a a great space. Uh, The whole finance. If you look at connected planning, uh, it's in a space that really hasn't been uh, addressed in such a long time, so a tremendous amount of opportunity for us.
1: How can you uh, help companies get visibility that have limited visibility?
2: You know, one, one, Having been in this uh, profession for so many years, right. uh, getting information has been a challenge okay. uh, for so long. Uh, I've dealt with it in numerous and some of the examples that you mentioned before the company is this part of. So what we do is we allow uh, the kind of the connection of data, people, and plans within an enterprise, right? So it's not just financial planning, what we call connected planning. So enterprise planning, so okay. planning that occurs in finance, but also in sales, in supply chain, in HR, so, as related to all. Of the cloud, so so, so it's the whole thing. different it's, verticals. It's, all all those exactly, right? So think about bringing all that together uh, within one platform, which which is very unique that allows that full connection. So you're getting real-time information uh, at the hands of those that need to make decisions. um, And then, therefore, it also uh, helps them make those decisions and then measure their progress toward what they intended to accomplish. And that's where the value comes in, right? So is it a reduction um, in uh, supply chain or in in basic uh, process? Is it a reduction in cost? Is it uh, more intelligence? Is it better prediction about the Mm -hmm. future? Yes, so I saw... Uh, Workday bought a company very similar to what I think you guys do
1: uh, where they do some planning. I, my wife's on the board of Bucknell she put okay. sorry don't worry, she picked those guys a little before, but it does seem like they're I should go and talk to her Well look <laughs> she's, she's fungible, but it does seem they're the only two companies i don't see a lot of companies in your vertical.
2: Yeah, there's just. I mean, if you think about uh, first, the first thing I think is happening here is the whole digitization. Right. That's occurring. And We had so, Mark one right, last night right. talking
1: about that. Exactly. Sale, of so,
2: so I think that's a big wave that's happening right. across enterprise, um, and so I think that's uh, now encouraging mm-hmm. the need uh, for some of the applications that we have, and I think what sets us up, which is unique, is kind of what I said, which is we're, we're across the enterprise, right, uh, as a platform, which allows that. Uh, you know the the togetherness of the data, people, and plans.
1: Well, you do work for VMware, now. I know this talk's has week of late, but they're very smart guys, so they chose you. and You're able to help them do what?
2: So they uh, they work with us in the sales organization. Okay. So how they uh, ma- manage all the territories that they assign uh, to the reps, right? So they have a large population. That's all done in Anaplan. uh gives right. them all the intelligence okay. as to what's really happening, forecasting, and things like that. Uh, so it's providing them with a tremendous amount of uh of intelligence uh, to manage their business.
1: Uh, I'm used to companies saying they got a flywheel going, and I like that, although rarely do I really see the flywheel. You use the term honeycomb. Explain that to me.
2: So I, thank you for picking that up. Yeah. I love it. So when we, uh, we have a land and expand model. Right. Um, and so the, the beauty about the platform is that it's not a prepackaged uh, application. It's one that is customized to our customers' needs. So okay. we'll start in a particular area of finance or a particular area of sales and then we start to expand in other parts, so it allows them to connect their process. And so the honeycomb is like, the first use case is a, uh, one of the honeycombs, and then you connect the honeycombs, Got and it. when you think about it across the enterprise, it's sort of like what we did in, uh, back in the time of, of doing end-to-end process mapping. Yes. yes, This is a form of end-to-end process mapping leveraging a technology platform that brings it all together and drives value for the company.
1: You did something that I'm so, usually I'm so afraid of companies that invest. They say, it's an investment year. How are you able to have
2: the investment? You did, you talked about that throughout the call. And also be able to hit the numbers. It's, uh, well, it's, I, I think it's, it's, we're early in the space. Okay. Uh, so it's important to make the investment. I, I said this when I joined Anaplan a few years ago, back at the time we were private, going to right. the, the investors. Um, and saying that I saw a tremendous amount of opportunity, and I want to invest. And so the investment is really in the go-to-market as well as in the technology. Right. right. That's the secret sauce that we have. So invest in that so we can scale, and that's what we've been doing. And the investment is allowing us to drive growth. I mean, this past quarter, 57% sixty-two uh, you know, growth, yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, 47% revenue, subgrowth, 48%. These are remarkable numbers. And, and what I think, I, I've known you as a winner wherever you've been. And uh, I don't think that the run the stock had necessarily is equal to all the good things that are happening at your company.
2: Thank you, Jim. I you appreciate that.
1: Your endorsement means a lot. Oh, you're terrific, Frank. That's Frank Calderoni, chairman and CEO of Anaplan. Been a winner everywhere he is. This one's a great one. Mad Money's back for the break. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Damn it. Time for the lightning round! I'm starting with Nicholas in Connecticut. Nicholas. Nicholas! Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. I'm a long time viewer, first time caller. Right. I have to say, I love your show, my friend. Thank you, man. Thank you. I want to ask you about a stock, MRNA, Moderna. It's been getting crushed lately. Should I buy, sell, or hold? You know, I met them when I was at the J.P. Morgan conference, and I, uh, healthcare, I thought it was terrific. So I'm going to tell you to stick with it. It is speculative. I, I like them very much. Dave in Ohio. Dave!
0: Booyah! Booyah. I never miss, I never miss class when Professor Kramer is at the podium. Holy cow, extra man, credit, I got that is an endorsement. conference calls and action, action alerts.
1: Thank you. Thank you for subscribing and being a member of the club. We got a big call next week. What's going on?
0: Say, I grew up in the shadow of the greatest roller coaster park in the world, and as a young man, even worked there. In 2012, the stock was on your radar, and I bought into it. After a double, it started a slight decline, and I sold out my basis in uh, January of 2018. It's continued its slow decline, but is now a high-yielder at 7 plus percent. Jim, should I continue to have fun? F-U-N. Oh,
1: Cedar Fair, yeah, I like Cedar Fair. I know. I know. The book is down. Uh, Six Flags is uh, a, a totally different. I like this much more than Six Flags. I think Six Flags is bringing them all down. Though. Let's go to Gary in Kentucky. Gary. Hey,
0: Jim. How are you? Big Louisville, Kentucky. Booyahs Dopu- to you, Man, sir. Man, once
1: a year, that place is dynamite. What's going on?
0: It's fantastic. Hey, buddy. I've been in MRTX, Marati Therapeutics, since July of 17 at $4. It's pushing 100 bucks now. Uh, yeah, but you know what? They did that thing day? with
1: Amgen and Asco. It was just killer. Now, look, we, uh, you got that price. You got to take... So- so, so, so. Please take your basis out. Play with the house's money. But that was really good news they got this weekend. How about we go to Dave in North Carolina. Dave!
0: Booyah! From Charlotte, North Carolina, the Queen City.
1: I had thought it was the Queen City. Sometimes you get it confused with the Rose City down the block. What's going on?
0: There you go. Hey, I want to get your take on Carvana, CBN Carvana
1: and and CarMax are the only two car companies that I, ah. related to that industry, by 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 that by by I, by I like. By. I think you got a winner, but it is a growth stock and you got to take a long term view. Parash in New Jersey. Parash. Hey, Jim. Well Wow, man, that took a lot of energy. What's going on? I try to listen to you ba 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 yeah, you are the best. You Thank you. With the light yeah, we had a couple understand. good stocks, doing some good stuff. Thank you. What's going on? Uh, well, my stock is AGN. You recommend to buy that,
2: and then you recommended to sell, too, oh, but yeah. I made well, a you mistake. Know, we
1: got burning We bought, we owned that, and if you remember Fraction Alerts, you got that Pfizer bid, and we hung on, which is why I say don't be a arbitrage finally cut the losses. I still don't like it at 126. I still don't like it. Uh, you need growth in order to get a drug stock rolling. I need to speak to Paul in Rhode Island. Please, Paul.
2: Hey, Jeb. Third hey, Paul. time
1: follow, long-time fan. First time, long-time. What's up? Eleven years, yes. Wow.
2: What's the long-term forecast for the cybersecurity company Fortinet, symbol FTN?
1: I don't know why Fortinet is not doing better. Now, Proofpoint is one of my faves, and one that I, I really am getting hurt on for the Chattel Trust is Palo Alto Networks. That really good... Really good run, and then bingo, we need to hear from management. I don't know what's going on. Nikesh Aurora, come on. But you know, I, I don't know what's going on with that one in particular. I need to go right now to Kathy in Illinois. Kathy.
0: Hi, Jim. Kathy. Um, I just wanted to thank you. You helped me put my kids through college. There you go.
1: <laughs> Not bad. Thank you very much
0: for that. But anyways, I was wondering about Chevron with all this thing with electric
1: cars. I think Chevron's a good company, but I am no longer recommending fossil fuel stocks on the show. Now, why am I do that? Because the millennial fund managers just don't like it, and they are going to hurt the darn earth. And that, ladies and conclusion of the lightning round.
0: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Forget about the on again, off again nature of the Fed and the present for a second. When you're evaluating individual companies, the two most important questions are often who is the customer and how's the customer doing? The answer, it depends. In the case of Salesforce, the customer's doing great. They're placing huge orders year over year. And that's how the company grew its cash flow at 34%. Hey, that's how they got 25% growth in the Americas, 27% growth in Asia, 32% growth in Europe, all in constant currency. How about China issues? Nope. Salesforce does almost no business in China. Now contrast that with Skyworks Solutions, SWKS, the semiconductor company that preannounced a huge shortfall last night. The problem is Skyworks used to get 12% of its sales from Huawei, which has now been blacklisted. Not their fault, but it still hurts. I think it get worse before it gets better. Skyworks also has a lot of Apple business, and I'm worried that that could be actually a liability. Last night, uh, Tim Cook told CBS News he doesn't think China will target Apple. I'm much more concerned about the United States targeting Apple because they do so much manufacturing in the People's Republic, and we know our president doesn't like that for, you know... Hey, listen, teach his own, I guess. And that's why Skyworks and every other company with a ton of exposure to China has become suspect, even as I swear by Liam Griffin, as a great CEO. But what could the Skyworks CEO do about a customer like Huawei that is suddenly on a presidential blacklist? Plus, I'm betting we'll start hearing that the Chinese economy has gotten weaker. Of course, weaker is still a lot better than being blacklisted, but it's not good. The only American company that I think is doing really fine in China is Estee Lauder, and they're in the consumer packaged goods space. So uh, that's about what you'd expect in a slowdown with customers worldwide, including China. In the selfie generation. The issue though is this who are your customers? Mark Benioff, again the visionary co CEO of Salesforce, talked about how some of his clients are worried about tariffs, but that's forcing them to step up their digital spending to protect their flanks. And on the conference call, co CEO Keith Block said in a source that only 20% of the enterprises out there are digitized. That's a staggeringly low figure that indicated Salesforce could still have an enormous amount of room to grow. Remember, as Mark reminds us, every business needs to identify its customers. That's easy for Salesforce, their potential customers, or anybody who wants to migrate to the cloud. And it isn't that hard for a company like Skyworks, either. They make semiconductors, mainly for the communications market. Think everything related to cell phones. However, Benioff was careful to point out that this is one reason big tech has gotten in so much trouble in Washington. Some of these companies have forgotten who the real customers are. Mark called out Facebook for selling out its users. Hey, they're the real customers long before almost anyone else. While he didn't specifically mention Amazon, Apple, or Alphabet, I think Washington will have to ask the same questions to these companies. Does Apple make too much money off the App Store extracting monopoly profits from its customers? Does Alphabet profit from the fact that it knows way too much about its user base? Does Amazon compete against its own customers? These issues haunt the tech titans. But they don't haunt Salesforce or any of the other cloud kings, for that matter. And that's why we're paying up for the cloud stocks and dumping the others. After the disappointment that the Skyworks and the antitrust investigations of Big Tech, maybe knowing who your customer is has become more important than knowing how your customer is doing. Although the great ones know both. Stick with Kramer. The company that I really have come to like is Stitch Fix, and that's Katrina Lake. She has done such a magnificent job, and they blew out the quarter at the end of the day. It reminds you that technology of all forms, but particularly digital, is still the place to be. And we learned that from Salesforce last night, didn't we? I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise i would find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I'll see you
0: tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.